0: So we're going to turn for reading to Hebrews, and I'm not going to make massive reference to it this morning, but it's another of these psalms. Psalm 40 is another of the psalms that is quoted in the New Testament, really clearly referenced in, in the New Testament. Um, so I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, hope you can sort of get hold of this, uh, of the argument here. I'm not going to uh, spend time spelling it out in detail. So we're in the middle, really, of Hebrews, which is one big argument about how Jesus is better than the Law of Moses. Um, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would not have stopped being offered. Would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you are not pleased. And then I said, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, though, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. And then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. He set aside the first, that's the sacrifices, to establish the second that is Jesus doing the will of God for us and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all hallelujah let's pray for a moment and let's just ask God to be with us to bless Father God we know that you are here we know that you're Thoughts are with us this morning, and we ask you to uh, turn your face towards us. In the same way the psalmist says you you inclined to him, you turned to him, we ask you that you would turn to us this morning uh, and speak to us. Speak to us to encourage, to build up, and speak to us to rescue us, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we've been looking at the Psalms, and we discovered a surprising truth, which is this, that they speak about Jesus. And at times, they even speak with Jesus' voice. And to try and simplify why that is, what we've been learning, the reason is this, David is the Messiah of his time. He is God's chosen king. He is God's anointed one. He is God's son. And so as David writes poetically about his own experiences, from his own experiences... He writes prophetically of God's ultimate Messiah, God's only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And David knew this. I was interested. I'd been reading um, through 1 two Samuel 1 and 2 Kings. J- David realized that the Lord had uh, said towards the end of his life, but I couldn't dig the reference out, that he knew that God had given him a gift of prophecy and that he'd been speaking prophetically. So these two things are, are, are what we're aiming at. We're aiming at seeing how the poems of David the Messiah speak of Jesus our Messiah. And also, as we read it, then we're trying to get it, we're trying to understand it, and that's why we approach them in this way. And then we're trying to feel it. We're trying to allow uh, the passion in the psalm to direct our affections and, and our passions. And we're allowing the psalms, the emotions expressed in the psalms to stir our emotions So the Bible's not simply about information exchange. It's not about you just getting information this morning. It's about you've been excited about something. Um, And the Psalms are a great place to feel the excitement um, of God, the excitement about God. And then, of course, we want to do it. We want to practice what we're singing about. And we also want to practice by going away and using the Psalms and singing them and learning from them. And Today we're in another psalm that's uh, explicitly applied to Jesus in the New Testament. There it was um, in Hebrews 10, and we're going to take this approach. Though so we're going to do it, I'm uh, going to try and do it more briefly, so we can come to uh, the, come to the communion table and we can respond um, in song. Um. And uh, I read um, Anne lent me Treasury of David by Spurgeon. And Spurgeon said, I don't know why I wrote this down, he said about his, on, about his commentary on this, he said, let the sun shine even though it conceals the stars. By which he means, um, I'm going to give you the main points even if I'm not going to give you the details. And I thought that was pretty cheeky. I thought that even coming from Spurgeon, that's pretty cheeky. He says, I'm going to give you the highlights, and I'm gonna, but I won't go... Uh, I won't give you the details, but we're going to be a little bit like this this morning. We'll let let the sun shine, even though we don't get into the the minute details of all the different bits of the psalm. But let's see what David the Messiah says, so get your sheets out or your Bibles open. Um, If you've got the sheets, then it'll it'll break more easily into verses. Uh, Sorry, I realised afterwards I should have uh, put it in a slightly larger typeface, but there we go. Verse 1, uh, what does David the Messiah say? He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. We don't know the circumstances um, of this psalm, but we do know that David has given it to the director of music. So it's to be used. It's not just David's personal recounting. It's to be there. It's, given to, it's been given to Lee um, you know, to, to use it every week, you know, or the Lee equivalent uh, of the Old Testament, to, you know, to be used in worship week by week. And he says this. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. Isn't that a lovely thought? It's kind of like God goes like this. He, he turned to me, and, um, and he heard my cry. He lifted me um, out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and, and mire. And I think this idea of the, of, of the slimy pit is, is particularly about death. I think it's a picture of the, of the grave, um, the combination of the words suggests that it's um, a picture of the grave. David, David said, you rescued me um, from death. He says, you put my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. So I'm not in that kind of slippery pit where I, I, I think the other thing about the pit is it's just something you can't get out of on your own. David was in this situation where he knew he could not rescue himself. And he says uh, the Lord gave him a, a firm place to stand, or rather he gave him firm steps, gave him the ability to walk. He put a new song um, in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in him. So the Lord has rescued David from something we don't know what, um, but it was something that was going to take, potentially take his life. It might have been an illness. And he's given him new strength. He's he's set him on a rock um, and he's given him a a new song. And it's not new necessarily because it's got new words, but it's a song sung from a new experience um, of the Lord. Many will see and fear and put their trust in him. And I think this is a microcosm of salvation. This is what it means to be um, saved by God uh, in a handful of little verses. And I think that's why people love the, the beginning of this Psalm so much. And I think the verse then, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, I think they expound on um, what it means to be saved. And essentially, they expand on verse 1. Um, so, verse 2 Blessed is the one who, who trusts in the Lord, who doesn't look to the proud, who doesn't turn aside um, to false gods. So, he's expanding on the objects of trust. It has to be God. And it has to be, if it's God that you're trusting, then you have to turn aside um, from false gods. You have to turn aside from trusting wrong things. We'll talk more about that later on. Many, my, uh, my, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. So he's thinking about probably to the Exodus and everything that happened uh, for God's people since then. The things you planned for us, no one can compare to you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. So the right place to trust is God. The wrong place to trust is in anything else. Um, trust in false gods. Or the proud people trust in themselves. Or they trust in other people to come and rescue them. If you're going to trust in God, there has to be a turning away um, from other things that you're trusting. Verse 3 talks about the proper place of sacrifice. Sacrifice. And David understands this. He says, sacrifices and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. God does not desire sacrifice. God does not require sacrifice. You have to be really clear about this. Even even as the author of Hebrews said that God did ask them um, to bring animal sacrifices. But the meaning of this is that sacrifices in and of themselves, sacrifices brought... um, solely and without any faith or repentance um, are absolutely meaningless what god wants is open ears ears that have been opened Um, so it's like god's put his finger in david's ear and kind of gone like this Um, and and that's what god wants wants people whose whose ears are open to him Then I said, here I am, I've come, it's written about me in the scroll, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is um, within my heart. So I think David recognises that in this rescuing that God has done, it's God who's opened his ear, and it's God who's put his law um, in his heart. And that's reminiscent, isn't it, of the new covenant terms, Jeremiah 31, 31. Um, God puts his law in our hearts, gives us a new heart. And verse 4 is is the proper response of praise. David says, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. Now, I can't find out what great assembly means. I've read a variety of commentaries, and if anybody can find out what David means by the great assembly, I'd be really pleased to know. But David says, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I don't seal my lips. Lord, as you know, I don't hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I don't conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. David says that you've done something for me and I am not going to hide it. I'm not going to be embarrassed about it. He just pours words upon words, uh, synonym upon synonym to say, look, I, I don't, I proclaim, I speak, I don't seal it, I don't hide it, I don't conceal it. There's a proper response to salvation, which is it comes out of the mouth. Uh, That's what David says. So verses 2, 3, and 4, I think they're just really expanding on uh, David's experience in verse 1. So verse 1 is the pattern, and verse 2 expands on what the proper object of trust is. Verse 2, 3, the proper place of sacrifice, and and verse 4, the proper response and praise. And then verse 5, it sounds like David turns back to asking the Lord for help. Don't withhold, so God has helped him in the past, he's still got problems in the present. And that's true, isn't it? Um, I remember one of the things, first things that happened when I became a Christian was that life got harder. Um, so verse 1, even though it's this microcosm of salvation, salvation does not exclude you from tough things in life so David's come back coming back to a situation where he needs to pray again to the Lord don't withhold your mercy from me Lord may your love and faithfulness always protect me for troubles without number surround me my sins have overtaken me and I can't see there are troubles everywhere my sins have I've got the better of me did you ever get to that point David's got to that point my sins have just I've got the better of me and I can't see, um, I can't see the way out there more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails. He, he's got so trapped in, in sin that he's just lost all heart that he's actually going to find his way out of it. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to, to, to help me. It's just an honest cry, isn't it? And again, we find out that, you know, it's very close to saying, hurry up to the Lord slightly more respectful of that but only marginally. And verse so verse 5 is a prayer for help um, verse 6 a prayer for vindication. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me ah-ha, ah-ha, and you know those people don't you they go ah-ha. yeah you said you were trusting in God Look what's happened now. May those say to me, ah, <laughs> will be appalled at their own shame. But may all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. So David prays for those who are against him. And do you know what he prays for? He prays for their shame. He doesn't actually pray for their destruction. I think he prays in a sense for their realisation. Um, may they be appalled at their own shame Uh, shame of what they've done is the the kind of starting point of repentance it isn't repentance but it could be Um, so David interestingly in this psalm anyway doesn't pray for their destruction he prays that they'll be shamed and that's perhaps the starting point of repentance and he prays for all those who seek God that they'll they'll rejoice and that even in the midst of their intercession they will say that Lord is great the Lord is great. And then he ends with, As for me, I'm poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. May the Lord think of me. That's a lovely thought. The Lord is thinking about you. You are my help and deliverer. You are my God. Um, do not delay. How does Jesus how does Jesus speak in this psalm? Well, verse one. If you imagine Jesus speaking this psalm, when and where would Jesus speak this? So we've got this pattern of salvation. I I waited patiently for the Lord. Um, He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. When would Jesus say that? I wonder whether Jesus says that in the grave. Jesus says that in the grave. Or that's what he's describing. I waited. I waited. Can you imagine? Jesus says, I waited, I was waiting there, in death, in, in the tomb, and I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me um, and heard my cry. And Then he rescued me and put a new song in, in my mouth. Jesus, I guess we could see it on Jesus' verse, echoing David's words, the proper object of trust is to trust in the Lord's saving acts. And actually then, of course, it's to save him what Jesus himself does. And then verse 3, which Hebrews specifically puts, on the, uh, puts these on Jesus' lips. Jesus says, sacrifice an offering you didn't desire. But my ears you have, you have opened. Or actually, in the, as it's translated in Hebrews 10, but a body you prepared for me. you have to come and ask me how those two translations arise. We can't go into this morning. But the proper place of sacrifice is that the animal sacrifices of God, Jesus says. And this Jesus, whose ears are always open and attuned um, to the Father, um, always does the right thing that the Father uh, wants him to do, then goes to the cross. The only person who doesn't deserve it, in God's eyes. And of course, that exchange takes place. You're credit. We're credited with his death and credited with his righteousness. So that the price is paid and the credit of righteousness um, is made. Jesus says, here I, here I am, I have come. It's written about me in the scroll. I think that's a little bit like the scroll in in Revelation. It's the scroll of God's intention for history, and particularly salvation history. I desire to do your will, my God, your law, um, is within my heart. Oh, there we go. Verse four, then, is the the proper response of of praise. Uh, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. Jesus, Jesus could say that. He could say that he... He, he constantly proclaimed his, his father's goodness um, in, in all, different, uh, um, all different contexts. And I guess he praises the father's goodness even in the heavenly great assembly, even now. And then verse 5, but how do we put verse 5 on Jesus' lips? Um, Don't withhold your mercy from me. He says, my sins have overtaken me and, and I cannot see and I think if, we, if this psalm is words of Jesus, then the only time Jesus can have said this is when he was on the cross. So Psalm 22, we found words of Jesus on the cross. I think here again, we find words from Jesus on the cross. and We find words in verse one, um, Jesus, Jesus in the grave. And Jesus, the only place Jesus could have prayed this was on the cross because he was sinless. And he would have, the only time he could pray this is when um, the sins of you and I Um, were were credited to him which was that moment um, when he's on the cross where he's hanging there and he could have prayed this this is the heart of what Jesus was praying don't withhold your mercy from me Lord my sins have overtaken me and actually he could have said the sins of all this lot (laughs) and all those other people for whom I've died they've overtaken me they've overcome me, my, my heart fails within me and I cannot see they're more than the hairs of my head be pleased to save me Lord, come quickly Lord to, to help me and of course he does but not until a, a little bit more waiting a little bit more patient waiting on Jesus because of course he, he dies first and and goes to the tomb before the Lord answers this prayer to come quickly to save him from the imputed sin of you and me. Verse six is a, is a prayer of vindication. And I guess Jesus would pray this. We, we, you know, on the cross there are people mocking him, people going, aha, aren't they? Huh? He saved others, can't save themselves, aha. Uh-huh. Jesus says, may they, may they feel shame for that. But may all those who uh, rejoice, who seek you rejoice and be glad. And then the ending, Mr. out. But as for me, I'm poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God, do not delay. Jesus, I guess, on the cross again. So how do we pray this in Christ? That's the important thing then, if that's how Jesus sings it. Well, first one is the, is, is the pattern of salvation. This is how salvation works. I waited expectantly for the Lord. He turned to me and, and, and heard my cry. Um, it's actually a, it's a double word in Hebrew, and Hebrew kind of does that to make, um, to make a kind of e- emphasis. It's, it's I expected expectantly for the Lord. So waited patiently is perhaps not the greatest of translations. And it's clearly, I, I expected expectantly of the Lord. He bent down to listen and he heeded my cry. He listened and he heard my cry. And this is what happens when you become a Christian. This is when it happens when you turn to the Lord and say, I need rescuing. Um, I, I, need, I need saving. I see what Jesus did on the cross I, and I need, that to, to, I need that to be applied to me. Uh, because my sins have, uh, have overtaken me. Um, I've got no way of, of dealing with them. And then this pattern of, of salvation starts to work out. Uh, you wait expectantly for the Lord. He hears that cry. He always hears that cry uh, for salvation. He picks you up out of the slimy pit. and in, in other words, he rescues you from death. Without that rescue, you are hell-bent, and you are headed for the slimy pit. You are headed for an eternity uh, of God's punishment, um, and you will spend eternity trying to climb out of it and not being able to climb out. It's inevitability. There is no way, there is no way out. That, that is the slimy pit. Um, and there is no foothold. And actually what you will find is that you may try and work your own way out of that, think, well, actually I can be good enough, I can get this, I've got life sorted, I can go my own way, but actually you will find yourself inevitably sliding there until you um, cry out to the Lord. It is inevitably slippy without God. But when you cry out to the Lord for salvation the first time, but then any of those times afterwards where you ask the Lord to rescue you from a situation, um, he lifts you out. And he puts your feet on a rock. Actually, what he does is he puts you in the rock that is in Christ. He sets you in Christ. That is a safe and secure place. And he gives you firm and sure steps. He makes your path straight. Without that, you're you're set on a life of slippy steps um, that go in directions you don't necessarily want them to go. With Christ, you know where it's going, and God will give you a straight path and and firm steps. And he puts a song in your mouth. Everybody who becomes a Christian has their conversation changed. So not everybody is an evangelist, but everyone's mouth will be changed who becomes a Christian. You will become a worshipper. You will become somebody who praises Christ. And there will be a change in your everyday conversation that will be outwardly noticeable. That will enable people to see see God in you. And to trust God through you. That's the plan. A little bit more on that at the moment. Uh, But of course, that's the way salvation happens day by day. That's the way you become a Christian, but that's the way the Christian life progresses. Every time you need a rescue, uh, it it works like this. That's the little pattern. That's the the great joy of verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 40. You should now kind of underline it or tick it in your Bible or something or highlight it. Because they're they're great little verses. Then the proper object of trust is the Lord. And you have to turn aside from false... Gods. Now, I got somewhere in my head along my preparation that it said idols, and it doesn't say idols. It says false gods, but they're largely um, the, the, the same thing. A false god is anything then that you trust um, to give you those things that God should give you. So when you want peace, or when you want significance, um, or when you want confidence, or when you want status... Um, And you turn to something other than God. It's a false god. It's an idol. And the false gods are, in our materialistic society, they are generally, I would say, substances, shopping, sex, and situations. Um, Substances can be anything. Chocolate has got me in its grip part of the time. And Jesus says you shouldn't be mastered by anything. but it could be something, it could be anything else. Could just be food, could be alcohol, couldn't it? could be uh, cannabis or cocaine. Shopping, love our possessions. I'm 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 repeatedly shocked um, at how much of a consumer I am. I get a buzz from, from ordering things from Amazon. You know, and, and there comes a point where you think. It's not entirely appropriate. So when any, of these situations, when any of these things are out of proportion or out of context or out of control, then they become a, a, a false god. I get a little sense of, I, I've got enough money and I can just order this today, and it'll come tomorrow. What a great sense of power. You know, and actually so there comes a point where you think, well, that's not appropriate getting a buzz out of something that isn't God. You've got to be careful. All these things start small. They all start small. Substances, whatever it might be. Shopping, it might be. You just love the stuff. So easy to do. Or sex. Like I say, if it's out of proportion or it's out of context or it's out of control, and the proper context um, for sex is that it is um, with your partner in real life in the context of heterosexual marriage. In other words, it's not imagined. Uh, it's not on your own. You know the business. Um, the proper context is uh, with your partner in, in heterosexual marriage. Or situations, and by that, I haven't put that on there, by that I mean standing. You know, you, it might be you, your role and something gives you a great sense of significance. Uh, and again, there are times when this is in proportion, in context, and it's in control, and it's OK. And there are times when it's out of proportion, out of context, out of control. But as I say, it starts small. And the extent to which you indulge in those things is the extent to which you, you don't make God the object of your trust. And that's what the psalm says to us. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. And blessed doesn't mean, oh, you know, happy feelings. It means God does good things for you. God makes life work out for you. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, doesn't look to the proud, doesn't turn aside to idols. Verse 3 is about the proper sacrifice, isn't it? And the only sacrifice um, for sin, it's impossible full of blood, of bulls and goats, take away sin. There is only one thing that takes away sin. I know we say this repeatedly and often. There's only one thing in time and space and history and the universe that will deal with sin, and that is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's the only thing. Don't appeal to to anything else. But what a wonderful thing is that it does deal with sin. And then you can be a living sacrifice, Paul says, and you be a living sacrifice by keeping in step with the Spirit. One of the great things about becoming a Christian is that God puts his law in your heart. He makes it possible for you to keep the law in ways that you hadn't managed before, that were beyond you. And that keeping in step with the Spirit, what the Spirit does, I think, is he reignites and he reinforces your conscience. Yeah? It's like having a super conscience, the Holy Spirit working within you. And, And I wanted to say that what he does is he makes your conscience more tender, But I think what he does also is in some ways he makes your conscience more firm. He makes makes you more clear what you can do and what your freedoms are in Christ, but he also makes your conscience more tender. Like I say, those little things like shopping and you kind of think, oh, if I'm not careful, that becomes a way uh, of getting fulfillment of life that's not appropriate. And verse 4 then expands on the proper response of, of praise. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. If you're right with God, it will overflow. Salvation overflows into words out of the mouth. And if it doesn't do that, then something has gone wrong. I would say, I want you to think about that. If it's not overflowing out of the mouth, then you know something's gone wrong. Because it should do. And if you're trying to keep your mouth shut, then it'll all back up and make you ill, spiritually ill. It's designed to overflow. It's supposed to overflow. Uh, It'll come out of your mouth. And it's supposed to overflow in praise. And it's supposed to overflow in conversation um, and what you say to other people. So salvation, if you're right with God, it's a good enough thing that it will come out of your mouth And it should come out of your mouth on a Sunday and it should come out of your mouth on a Monday to a Saturday. So don't come in here on a Sunday and sing about the Lord if it's not coming out of your mouth on Monday to Saturday. Because you're being double-minded. And you're being dishonest before the Lord. And then verse 5, I guess we can pick up this prayer for rescue. So we've seen this pattern of salvation. We've seen um, how it works out um, in praise. The right people to trust, the proper sacrifice. But you will always need to come back and ask the Lord for help because you will always sin again. Trouble will surround you. Sin will overtake you. And what does it do? It, it blinds. Sin blinds you. That's one of the problems of, uh, of sin is once you've started... Uh, and you kind of think, I'll just do this because I can get away with this and then I will come back. But the problem is, uh, once, you, once you start to walk away from the Lord, you get increasingly blind about how far away from the Lord you are. That's why it's a, a quick response is, is always the right thing. And it depresses. My heart fails within me. You get to a point where you, you realise you can't deal with this yourself and that's actually a right response. And so you can pray this whenever you're in trouble. Don't withhold your mercy from me, Lord. Please let your love and faithfulness always protect me. My sins have overtaken me. I can't see. I can't even. Not even sure what I'm doing with right and wrong. More than the hairs in my head, and my heart fails, Lord. I've, I, I'm just. Try not to say rude words. I'm just. So uh, gotten down, Lord, by the fact that I just keep sinning. Just, Lord. uh, My heart fails because I just keep getting it wrong. I just keep doing the same thing. And the prayer is this, be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to, to help me. And verse 6, we said, was a prayer for vindication. There are people who, uh, around you who will mock you. Well, pray for them. Maybe you would pray for their shame rather than their destruction. I don't think uh, we can quite stand in the, in the place of Christ and, and pray for their destruction. Though obviously, if, they, if, if people carry on being, turning and making their heart hard against the Lord, the right thing is that the Lord punishes them. But we can pray for their shame, and the shame being the first step of them turning and coming to Christ. And we can pray that the Lord keeps us confident in the, in the midst of inter- intercession. Lord, we, we're going to rejoice and be glad in you. Even though we're in fresh trouble. And we're longing for you saving help. But we're going to say the Lord is great all the same in the midst of it. And the ending is simply an invitation. Then for us, for the first time or for the thousandth time, say, as for me, I'm poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this salvation, which is that we cry and you turn we cry and you lift us you put us in christ you make our paths straight you put songs in our in our in our mouths and you make us a witness to those around us this is salvation this is christianity we thank you for it we thank you we've taken this taken hold of this and you've done this for us Oh Lord today we need rescuing again from all kinds of different things so often we need rescuing from our own sin just failed you again in the week and we ask you this morning Lord as we come to your table now um, to rescue us again in Jesus name oh man